Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and Proverbs in chapter number 10. The book of Proverbs and chapter number 10. We're continuing with our series of Proverbs and searching for wisdom found in these wonderful Proverbs to glean as much as we can, looking for principles that God gives us that we could walk in our everyday practical life. We come to a wonderful proverb found in the book of Proverbs chapter number 18. The book of Proverbs chapter number 18. Proverbs 18, if you don't mind, and notice with me in verse number 10. Proverbs 18, and notice with me verse 10, the Bible says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and it is safe. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark that wonderful phrase that we find in Proverbs 18 and verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you today, we're asking that you would help open up our minds and our hearts and our understanding Seeing what you mean by this, that the name of the Lord is as a strong tower, that we can see what you mean by it and that we can apply it, that we can learn the importance of your name. Again, you set things in order. There's no way of my own human intellect, my human mind, my own way of thinking that I could ever match and glorify and teach the importance of your name. That is something that you and you alone can do. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you now, ask that you fill me with your precious spirit, that you guide and direct and put things in order for yourself, that we can see this verse is true and that we can apply it to our everyday lives running to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go into the names of God and explaining this, Maybe we just start in the basic and just explain what the idea of a strong tower has. The idea of a strong tower is a castle fortress, but it has a deeper idea that every person, every warrior has always wanted a place where he can go to and have solitude and safety. The idea of a castle or fortress is something where someone can go and they could feel safe because they know the enemy cannot breach its walls. They know that it's a place where the enemy cannot get inside and interfere. Everyone needs that place of sanctuary. So every warrior always wanted a fortress, a base, something that was defended, something that could not be breached, something that even though the enemy may come, they could not get inside and they would feel safe inside. 
We know that that applies beyond a warrior to the idea of an entrepreneur, a business owner. Every business owner wants to have a business that will be immune to the outside fluctuations of inflation, of of bad business, of everything else. They wanted to be able to stand where it could not be defeated from the outside, where they could feel safe and secure and not have to worry about, is this going to stand? You see, everyone is looking for that sanctuary, that safe place, that place where the enemy cannot get to. Everyone desires that place. Well, the Bible offers us that place And giving it to us by the names of God. That the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is our place where we can go to and have sanctuary. Where we can have peace. Where we can be protected from the enemy. This is the idea that God is trying to get across. That if you need protection from maybe the elements. From the storms. If you need something. Protection from the enemy. You need protection from the environment. From the criticisms from everything else that God has given us the way of escape and that's through the name of God so with that let's explore this and the first thing we want to hit is what is meant by the name of God what is meant by the name of God well one true fact the Bible makes clear is that God wants to be known God of course, is God and is bigger than any of us can understand. But at the same time as that God is unknowable, God wants to be known. He wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with every person. God wants him to be known. One of the ways that God has revealed himself is through his word. That the whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal God to man. To reveal himself to us. That we can know him and have the information about who he is and how he interacts with man. We know that another deeper way that God has revealed himself is by the names of God. There's something about a name. That when you have a name of someone that you love, someone that you care for, just hearing their name puts off an emotional response. There's a favorable thing for it. There's nothing cold. For example, I'm married and my wife's name is Leah. When I say Leah, there's personal feelings that are there. It's not just cold dead ice as a name that I don't know. You know, I could start shooting names, but I'm sure I'd run into someone that But you know, it could be an obscure name of someone I don't know. I could say their name and it has no impact on me whatsoever. But if someone was to rush up and say, Leah's hurt, automatically I have a response because I have an emotional attachment to someone. She has revealed herself. That name is precious to me. I have three children. Their names are precious to me. If I hear their names, there's feelings that are attached to it. There is something that is put with their name. There is, it's how they reveal themselves. It is how they know themselves. I have one that I've nicknamed Princess. And when I say Princess, that name means something special. There's a personal attachment to that name. It is something that has deep meaning to me and it is how she is known to me. So you'll know it's not just her regular name, but even the idea of another name still has much information. And by the way, with that other nickname, Princess, I've also learned something more about her. For example, I have a son. I don't call him Princess. Princess. 
And the reason why is because it doesn't, he doesn't carry the qualities that that word princess does. All right, I have another daughter. I don't call her princess because that princess name doesn't carry the same qualities about her. But the word princess to my oldest daughter reveals something about her by that nickname, by that personal attachment that I have to that name. Does that make sense? That name fits her. Now, I have other nicknames from the kids, but I'm not going <laughs> to. But there's something about a name. It is a way that is revealed. It is a way that God has chosen to reveal himself that we can know something more about God in his details and who he is by his names. Many of God's names have to do something with his attributes, dealing with his character, by dealing with who he is. It gives a description of what he is like. When you know a person's name, there's an intimacy of knowledge that comes with it. In the names of God, there's an intimacy of knowledge when we understand what God's names are. In addition, the names of God also reveal God's own glory and faithfulness. So with his names, there are promises that we can have tried to it. There are uh, characteristics we can apply when we call upon the names of God. So we talked a little bit about the importance and the names of God. Let's hit another thing here. The protection of God's names. The protection of God's name. It says the name of God is as a strong tower. That the righteous runneth into it. And is safe. That this has a protection. The names of God have a protection you could run to. And if you run to it and hide yourself in those names, you are safe. There's something about being safe, being secure, having that sanctuary, as we said before. When we understand God's names and understand that God has revealed himself by those names, we also understand the help that God is able to provide and the person that we're able to trust. When we know the names of God and how they are appropriately applied, they become that shelter, they become that protection. The proverb here, again, is giving this strong tower, this protection that we could run into and that we can be safe. When the enemy is pursuing us, when the world seems to be against us, when the weather is trying to dump on us, we run to God. We know that the name of God is better than any other stronghold that man has ever devised, that man has ever developed. It's much more safe. It's much more secure. It's much more permanent. It's much more faithful. So with this as a backdrop, let's now give you some examples of God's names because again, we want to have God's names, understand how they, what they're used for, how God has revealed himself so we can learn to run to his names. The names of God, of course, are the subject of extensive Old and New Testament studies. The names of God is a personal uh, favorite study of mine. If you go to my office on the wall beside my computer, there's a whole um, poster full of names of God. The names of God is just a fascinating study because you learn so much more about who God is and how God is revealed to himself and what he could do for us by using his names. Now, of course, I can't go through an exhaustive list, 
but I could go through a couple of them that I believe will be a help. The very first name of God, the basic name of God that everyone should have a knowledge of, is the name of God Elohim. Elohim. For those of you who are spelling challenged, let me help you out. E-L-O-H-I-M. Elohim. Elohim is the official title of God. It shows up in the Old Testament as G-O-D. God. It is his proper title. It is his official title. It is how he is known that he is God and that there is none else. The God who is in control of all of the world. The God who created all the world. The God who every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The God who will judge the world. This God. The name Elohim occurs over 2,700 times in the Old Testament. And it shows up just 32 times in Genesis alone. It is contracted sometimes with the E-L, so L, over 250 different times, which means to be God Almighty. He is the creator God, and we could run into him because he is almighty. So the word Elohim is the, the type, uh, official title of God. It is his proper title. It's not a personal name as much as it is a title that he is God. It shows up as G-O-D. Whenever you see that G-O-D, you could think this is talking about the proper title of God. Another name that you need to know in the Bible is the word Jehovah. Jehovah. For those of you spelling challenge, let me help you out. J-E-H-O-V-A-H. Jehovah. Jehovah. Now the word Jehovah is the personal name of God. The Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. It is the personal name of God. So whenever you see this in the Bible, you will know it's the personal name of God. In the Old Testament, you're going to see it show up in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when the word Lord is in all capitals, you're going to see that this is the personal name of God, Jehovah. Jehovah. Now, this is the intimate name of God. God is the official title. It's like saying, sir, mister. The idea of Jehovah is the personal name of God. It is a name that we don't use lightly. It is something that is very personal and intimate to God. The word Jehovah means unchanging, eternal, self-existing God. Jesus, or God said, introduced himself this way in Genesis chapter 3 when Moses looked at God and said, all right, God, you want me to go talk to Israel? What is your name? Who do I tell him I sent him? And God said, I am. I am. What does that mean? God says, I am. The idea of I am means I am the self-existing one. You know what that means? That God doesn't need gas to run the machine. He doesn't need any outside source in order to empower him. God does not need gas. God does not need food. God does not need rest. He does not need vacations. He does not need a day off. He doesn't need a break. There is no outside source that God needs in order for him to run or operate. He is the self-existing one. He doesn't run out of fuel. He doesn't grow old. 
Now, this is a helpful name of God that we have the God who has all the substance in all the universe in him. And that because he never runs out of gas, we could always rely on him. We could always depend upon him. We could run into him because he's a self-existent one who never changes. By the way, that also implies that God is perfect. What do we mean? Well, if something is perfect, it never changes. If it changes, then it's not perfect. God never changes because he is perfect. He is the self-existing one. He is the perfect one. He's the one that we could run to. Now we're going to run into more names, but maybe I could apply this a little bit. That there is the personal name of God. To the Hebrew people, this was very important and very intimate. That even when the Hebrew people were writing down and copying scripture, that if they were writing the personal name of God and the king came in, they were supposed to finish writing the name of God, then address the king who came into the room. Because the name of God was so important, the personal name of God. The Hebrew people were very um, much didn't want to misuse the name of God. So oftentimes when they would read through the scripture, instead of saying Jehovah or Yahweh, which is the Hebrew spelling of it, they would personally replace it with a different name of Elohim or Adonai, which means Lord or Master. So that way they would never be at the place where they would accidentally misuse the personal name of God. Because the personal name of God was something attached to God that they never wanted to misuse it. Why? Because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. That we could run to it and be safe. The name of God is something special and something unique. The name of God gives us something of familiarity, the personal name of God, that we can be close and intimate. Let me give an example. If we were to run into the governor of the state of Wisconsin, proper etiquette, and I have to say that because proper etiquette is not practiced anymore, but proper etiquette says that because he is unfamiliar with me, my way of addressing him is Sir, Mr. Governor. I would call him by his last name, Governor Evers. I do not have a personal relationship with him. And so I would use his official title to show that there was distance and that was formality. Does it make sense? But if I got to know him personally, he may give me permission to use him his first name. And now in an intimate setting away from the public, I could use his personal name because of the friendship, the familiarity that we have developed. Does it make sense? We see this played in the book of Ecclesiastes. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has been away from God for about 10, 15 years. He has been away from God for quite a while. And as he's an old man, he's looking back and he's taking an honest look at his life. And he comes to the conclusion, which the two key phrases found in the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity of vanity. The word vanity means empty. So empty, empty. And then under the sun, the phrase under the sun is life without regard to God. And so if you put those two phrases together, as you see them throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, it says life without regard to God is empty. It's empty. That's the conclusion he comes to. Now, again, he's being honest about his life. He's looking back at the last 10, 15 years, even though he was the wisest man who ever lived, he became a scientist. He had every pleasure, every knowledge, anything that was available to him, all the wealth. He had it all available. And he still says, my life is empty because I've lived it without regard to God. 
But what really makes that book interesting is that all the book he's talking about life without regard to God and how important God is and how people should have put God in their life. All throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, he always uses the proper title of God. And he never uses the personal name of God. What we learn just by studying the names of God there is that even though he's talking about God, he doesn't feel close enough to God to use God's personal name. That there's a distance between them. You see, there's an importance of having that personal name of God and having that personal relationship with him that we can use that. Now, beyond this, there are many different combinations. We would call uh, elistic combinations, talking about that E-L coming from Elohim or Jehovah um, combinations. We would say Jehovah blank and fill them up. Each one of these give us something special and unique about who God is. Let me just run through a couple of examples. We have El Eglon, which means the most high God. So this has the official title of God followed by another name to give a description of the most high God. You see this in the Bible in reference to the idea of showing how big God is. For example, when Abraham went to go uh, fight against those kings who had stole his nephew Lot and all those family, he went back and had the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, come up to him and he said, Abraham of the most high God. He says, Abraham, your God is of the highest rank of all the other gods. You are the God, your God is higher than everyone else. That's a good reminder to us that when we're going through hard times, I'm going to the God that is above every other. That I don't have to worry about some other God breaking down God's name and breaking God's stranglehold. When I go to God and I hide in him, nothing can get me out. Nothing is strong enough. God is the most high God. What about another name we find? We have El Royai which is a name that I love, El Roy I. It comes from the story of Hagar. <clears throat> now, admittedly within that story, Hagar had kind of shot her own self in the foot. But the whole story shows how complicated sin gets. When sin gets involved, everything turns complicated. You start off with Abraham and Sarah, who God had made a promise that Abraham was going to have a son of promise. Well, when they start getting older, you know, in their 70s and 80s, Sarah said, well, you know, I'm kind of too old to have a kid. And I could tell that you really want to have a kid. So how about this? I have my handmaid in Hagar. What about this? Why don't you, um, why don't you just go ahead and make her my proxy and you have a child by her and we'll just say it's our kid. And uh, can you imagine having that conversation? Or check out that DVD when you get to heaven and see how that conversation went. Probably very uncomfortable. Well, Abraham goes through and Hagar gets, uh, comes to be expected with child. Now Hagar, who was the handmaiden to Sarah, starts rubbing in Sarah's face. (laughs) You're not woman enough to get the job done. You had to tag me in and I had to do the job for you. Who's the real woman of the house? Well, do you think Sarah took that well? 
Not at all. Now, again, Hagar had did a lot of provoking. And so it's no surprise that Sarah had enough and went to Abraham and said, listen, I made a mistake. Uh, listen, we, this, uh, she didn't say I made a mistake. <laughs> You're the goofball here. You're the man of the house. You messed up. Why'd you, you know? And she goes, get rid of this servant. You know, and she, they're having fuss. Well, Hagar hears what's happening. She says, forget this. And she leaves. She starts heading back home to Egypt. So she's crossing the desert and she's getting ready to go back home. Forget Abraham, forget all of this stuff. And she goes down to the desert, getting ready to cross. She's hiding in the shade for a little bit. And God comes up and says, Hagar, what's going on? And Hagar's kind of surprised, talks with God. And Hagar reveals the name of God, the God who sees me. You see, God comes back and says, listen, I know what you were going through but I want you to go back anyways because I've got plans for that child. Now Ishmael is going to be born and of course we know historically that he is going to be the father of the Arabic people. But the principle here is that listen, he is going to have a hard time obeying but he's not going to learn disobedience from you. You go back and submit to your master and you obey and you teach him what it's like to be obedient. And she said, here's the God who sees me. He's the God who saw me in the past. He sees where I currently am and he sees where I'm going. You know, that's a helpful name of God that you may feel like no one understands me. God does. He sees exactly where you came from. He sees where you're at now and he also sees where you're going and he knows how to get you there. And we could run up to him and trust him no matter what. What a precious name of God. What another name of God do we have? There's tons of them. We have Jehovah Jireh, famous story within the book of Genesis that finally when the child of promise came, Isaac came, Abraham was very happy and he tried to treat both the sons and try to take care of them. But Isaac was his promised son. Isaac grew up 30 years. He's now 30 plus years old. And God says, I want to test and see where Abraham's at. He wanted the son so badly. Let's see if he will still honor the son or if he will worship me. Which one? Will the son get in the way of worshiping me? And so God had asked Abraham to take Isaac and to sacrifice him. And as they're going up in the mountain, Isaac's carrying his own wood. And he looks and says, all right, we got the wood. We got the supplies to build the fire, but where's the ram? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. So they get up there. Isaac's now 33. Isaac, or Abraham's 133. May I give a reminder that a, a 33-year-old man who doesn't want to be put down on the altar is not going to go willingly or be able to. And a 133-year-old guy is not going to be able to force him. Isaac willingly put himself on the altar because he trusted his dad and he trusted what God said, that God will provide himself a lamb. Now, of course, before the deed could be done, God stopped him and said, oh, by the way, there's a ram over there. Go sacrifice him. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And of course, one of the great names of God for us is this Jehovah Jireh, because God provided Jesus to take our place. He provided a lamb to pay our price and that God is able to provide. And by the way, the Bible talks about later on in the book of Acts that if you need it $4.29, 
God loved you enough to send his son to die for you. He will also give you $4.29 if you need it. He loves you enough to give you that. God is a God who provides. Isn't that a great comfort that when we need and we have very real needs and we can't provide him ourselves, we can run to the Lord as a strong tower and go to him and say, Lord, I can trust you to provide what you need for us. What a great name of God that we could run to in our time of need. We have Jehovah Rafi, the Lord that healeth, the Lord that healeth. This is a name of God that is used inside of the uh, wilderness wanderings when the people were thirsting and they were uh, looking for substance and they were complaining, oh, God sent us out here, so we're going to die. And God was able to provide their substance and heal them from their wombs. We have another one. We have Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. This one's a good one. What does Jehovah Nisi mean? It means the Lord is my banner. By the way, what is his banner? His banner over me is love. The word banner is the idea of a flag or a standard. It would be something that you would mark as yours. You know what God has done is that we could run to him and say, I'm under his banner. Oh, he loves me and I could be under his banner. I'm under his protection. The enemy can't touch me because I'm under his banner. Jehovah Nisi. There's other names of God. I can't go through them all. There's Jehovah Kadesh, which means the Lord that sanctify. Now, context is also important for the names of God. Jehovah Kadesh is used, the Lord that sanctified, is used inside of when Moses was receiving all the plans for the tabernacle. And as he was up there for 40 days receiving the plans of the tabernacle, and it's going to take them nine months to build the tabernacle, God says, listen, don't forget the Sabbath. I'm the Lord that sanctifies. Now, why is God saying, remember the Sabbath in the middle of the plans of the tabernacle? He said it because of this, that so often and what the temptation for those people were going to be, they got so busy doing something for God, like building the tabernacle, that they would fail to spend time with God. And that's something we all need to be warned about, that we could get so busy doing good things and we get so busy doing things for God that we fail to spend time with God. And remember, God is a personal God who wants to spend time with us. God wants us to be close. That's an important name of God, that there's a God who wants us to be close to him. Throughout the... Uh, Old Testament, you'll often find another name of God called the Lord of Hosts. What does the Lord of Hosts mean? The Lord of Hosts, the idea of a host means the armies. So the Lord of Hosts means he's the captain of all of the armies of heaven. He's the general in charge of all the armies of heaven. Now, remember that Israel and the Hebrew people were often plagued by armies and enemies all about them. And they would often get scared of the armies and enemies all about them. There's more of them. They hate us. They want to wipe us off the map. So they would run to the name of God. It's a very widely used name of God of the Old Testament. That God would remind them, I'm the Lord of hosts. I'm the captain of all the armies of heaven. Listen, I'm able to protect you from those enemies. No wonder the Bible says that the name of the Lord is as a strong tower. We could go to him and under his names and learn the names of God and how they apply. We could go to him and get the protection and the encouragement that we need. Now, we're not going to go through all the names of God. I want to encourage you that 2025, 
the whole series for that year, the theme for that year is going to be the names of God. And we're going to do a great study on the names of God throughout the year. So you could add a lot to your repertoire. For now, I just want to introduce the subject to you and let you know that you, to study the names of God, to learn the names of God, to apply them to yourself and know that you could run to God's names as a strong tower and that those that run into it, you're going to be safe to learn that you could trust God's names and his protections that he offers. As an application to this, let me do a hymn history for you. I love hymn histories. And the song I want to give a hymn history for you is the song Rock of Ages. In northern Somerset, England, there's a rocky gorge known as the Burningston Combe. There are several small villages that stand on this and overlook the sea. One of these villages called Blegden, where Augustus Toplady lived and he ministered. He was the preacher that was there. While walking down toward the comb one day, a violent thunderstorm sent him hurrying for shelter. In all the great, uh, in all the great gorge cut between the towering cliffs, there seemed to be no hiding place. So he's there basically on these cliffs. The storm is raging. He's exposed. He has nowhere to go. He can't go up, can't go down. He's just exposed to the elements in this violent storm that's threatening to blow him off. Then he saw a cleft in a rocky limestone near the gorge. He hurried towards it and he found that he could stand just upright within the shelter. So he took shelter there and as the rain came down in torrents and the thunder pealed, as he stood there, these words began to well up in his soul. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed, be of sin of double cure, cleanse me from the guilt and power. There he stood in the cliff and the rock and as the rain was beating down, he was just thinking about the safety that he had in the cleft of the rock and the rest of it where he was exposed and he was vulnerable. There was just a hiding spot just close enough where he could get into there. William Gladstone, a prime minister of England, this was his favorite song. It was the favorite hymn of Prince Albert, the husband of Queen Victoria. Every July, even to this day, thousands of people come far and near to stand outside that cleft in the rock and they sing these words, rock of ages, cleft from me. It's a place where you can go and actually sing the song yourself and to experience what it would be like to have the storm raging around you and to be safe in that cleft. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, chapter 18 and verse 10, the name of the Lord is as a strong tower. A righteous, the righteous runneth into it and is safe. That when the world is trying to beat us down, when the world is trying to defeat us, when it seems like the enemies abound, that we're able to go to God and he could hide us in the cleft of the rock. He could hide us and give us that protection and that we could be safe. What a wonderful God that he has given us a way out, that he is giving us a way of escape. If you don't mind, one last passage, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, in, or 2 Corinthians. Inside of the book of 2 Corinthians is a very repeated verse, but it is often repeated without, uh, out of context. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10. I apologize for that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a most misquoted verse. Just a horribly misquoted (laughs) verse. So many Christians uh, misuse this verse, but may we apply it correctly. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And notice with me in verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. It says, there hath no temptation taken you, but as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able. Now, for some reason, people put a period there. And they say, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. There is so much more than you can handle. Notice the verse is finished. It says, there's no temptation taking you as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but with that temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So often God will give us more than we can bear on purpose. But with that, he has never given us where there's no hope. He's always given us a way of escape. What is the way of escape, Jesus? The name of God is a strong tower. That God has made it so our way of escape is always the same. We run to him. We go to our daddy. We go to the Jehovah who is the self-existing one. We go to the God who runs everything. We go to the most high God. We go to the God who sees me. The God who knows where I was, knows where I am, and knows where I'm going. We run to the God who's able to provide. We run to the God that's able to heal. We run to the God who puts us under his banner. We run to the God that sanctifies us and wants us to be close. We go to the God who's the God of all of the armies of heaven that can give us protection. God has always given us a way of escape. And he has said very clearly that it's his name. It's running to him. It's letting him hide us away from those storms. It is him that is our strong tower. This is the principle we rely on here. That God will give you more than you can handle. But has always given you a way of escape. That's Jesus. One more tiny idea here. The Bible says... In where we were reading at before our text of the book of Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Then it says, the righteous. The righteous. Do you know there's a qualification here? That you have to be right with God. Well, how do I be right with God? First of all, you need to be right with him with your sins. Are you 100% sure if you were to die today, are you 100% sure that you are forgiven of your sins, that you've accepted Christ as your Savior? That's the very first thing you have to do. And God has made a way of escape from our salvation through Him, through His name. It is by the name of Jesus that we are saved. We're thankful that even the name of the Lord can make us righteous. For those who maybe aren't right with God, God wants you to be right with him, but that's the qualification. The righteous run to him. Listen, if you're not right with God, you know that you're far away from him like like King Solomon was in the book of Ecclesiastes. You don't have to remain far away from God. You could get things right and you could get close to him. You are always as close to God as you want to be.
Many people have heard the old analogy, but it still fits. Of the farmer and his wife riding down the, the road in their pickup truck. The wife sitting on the one end and the, driver's, uh, the farmer sitting at the driver's seat. And the farmer's wife looks over and sees all that space in between him and her and says, you remember the days when we were young and in love where you had your arm around me and we were so close? Well, he looks at the empty space and looks at her and says, I didn't move. God has never moved. We are always as close as we want to be. You know, you want to have the secret of having the name of God as a strong tower then we need to be close to God. So that way we can always be quickly able to run to him. If the strong tower is the other side of the state, you can't run to it when you're in disaster. That tower is only works if it is close and you have close access to it. This idea of being righteous is a big deal because there's lots of people that have problems. And usually the thing was just run to Jesus, run to Jesus. The problem is, is if Jesus is way over there, that's hard to get to him. You need to work on being righteous and being close to that tower. So it is available. You ever watch kids play tag where they have a base and they see the person who's it and they kind of step away, but they don't get too far away. They, they make it so they could quickly run to that tower. We need to always have that tower close by. So that way, when we see them coming after us, we could run to it and be safe. The name of the Lord, the name of God is as a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and are safe. The question is, first of all, are you the righteous? Have you accepted Jesus as your savior? Are you close enough to that tower to run to it when trouble comes? And then, are you using that tower? We're thankful that we can, that we have a place to go to be safe from the shelter of storm. I'm thankful for what God has done for us. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.